Krishna, dear devotees, welcome back to the daily readings of Srila Prabhupada's books. We've been reading Srila Prabhupada's books out loud almost every day for a very long time. And during Kartik for 19 years in a row, Vaishishika Prabhu and I established this format of reading straight and then having reflections. And of course we were doing five hours a day during Kartik. Quite intense, but quite wonderful. And I'm reading out loud. Every year I update my database with the latest Polish edits, which have been come maybe some kind of controversy. But the thing is, when you read these books as much as we have been reading them out loud with a group of devotees, and you hear how wonderful they are, and then when there is some difference, whenever it's discussed, uh, especially in Govardhan, because we have different devices and different books, so the different versions, and sometimes there's questions and every single time without exception now we're talking about frontline preachers translators serious devotees devotees do read the books without exception every single one of them agreed that the latest polish edit that was done by Jaidwaita Maharaja Dravida uh, made they heard Prabhupada's voice clearer and stronger and there was not any interruption of his bhav, of his uh, train of thought, of his flow of empowerment. Nothing. It just keeps getting better and better. So please remember that. When anybody, when you hear anybody talking about this issue in a kind of controversial way or a you know, conspiratorial way, tell them the truth. The truth will set you free. Srimad Bhagavatam Mahima Stotram from Sri Krishna Lila Stava by Srila Sanatan Goswami. Beautiful glorification of the Srimad Bhagavatam. goes like this. Sarva Shastrabdipi Yusha Sarva Vedaika Satpala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnadya Sarva Lokaika Drikprada O nectar from the ocean of all scriptures, singular fruit of all the Vedas, rich mine of the precious gems of all conclusive truths, you are the only giver of sight to all the worlds. Sarva Bhagavata Prana, Srimad Bhagavata Prabho, Kalidvandudita Aditya, Sri Krishna Parivartita. O life heir of all the Supreme Lord's devotees, O Master, Srimad Bhagavatam, you are the sun risen in the darkness of Kali. You are the exact image of Sri Krishna. Paramananda Pataya, Prema Varshakshadayate, Sarvada Sarvasevyaya, Sri Krishnaya Namostume. I bow down to you, who is supremely blissful to read. Your every syllable pours down a flood of prema. 
You can always be served by everyone. You are Sri Krishna Himself. Marika Bando Matsangin Madguru Mad Mahadana Manisdaraga Mad Bhagya Mad Anandanamostute My only friend, my constant companion, my spiritual master, my great wealth, my savior, my good fortune, my source of ecstasy, I bow down to you. Asadu Sadutadain Adini Chutatavkara Hanamunchagadachin Mam Premna Ritkanta Yukspuda O bestower of saintliness to the unsaintly, O exalter of the most fallen, please never leave me. Always appear in my heart and my voice with pure love. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Right, Krishna is moving on from pastime to pastime. Actually, every second, every instant of Krishna's pastime is a pastime. Chapter 60 talks between Krishna and Rukmini. Once upon a time, Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the bestower of all knowledge upon all living entities, from Brahma, <clears throat> from Brahma <clears throat> down to the to the insignificant ant, was sitting in the bedroom of Rukmini, who was engaged in the service of the Lord, along with her assistant maidservants. Krishna was sitting on the bedstead of Rukmini, and the maidservants were fanning him with chamaras, yaktail, fly whisks. Lord Krishna's dealings with Rukmini as a perfect husband are a perfect manifestation of the supreme perfection of the personality of Godhead. There are many philosophers who, pro pro who propound a concept of the absolute truth in which God cannot do this or that they deny the incarnation of God or the Supreme Absolute Truth in human form. But actually, the fact is different. God cannot be subject to our imperfect sensual activities. He is the all-powerful, omnipresent personality of Godhead, and by His supreme will, He can not only create, maintain, and annihilate the whole cosmic manifestation, but also descend as an ordinary human being to execute the highest mission. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, whenever there, is, whenever there are discrepancies in the discharge of human occupational duties, <clears throat> he descends. He is not forced to appear by any external agency, but he descends by his own 
internal potency in order to reestablish the standard functions of human activities and simultaneously <clears throat> annihilate the disturbing elements in the progressive march of human civilization. In accordance with this principle of the transcendental pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he descended in his, in his eternal form as Sri Krishna in the dynasty of the Yadus. The palace of Rukmini was wonderfully furnished. Hanging from the ceiling were many canopies with laces bedecked with pearl garlands, and the whole palace was illuminated by the effulgence of valuable jewels. There were many flower groves of Malika and Chamali, which are considered the most fragrant flowers in India. There were many clusters of these plants with blooming flowers enhancing the beauty of the palace. And because of the exquisite fragrance of the flowers, little groups of humming bees gathered around the trees, and at night the pleasing moonshine glittered through the network of holes in the windows. There were many heavily flowered trees of parijata, and the mild wind stirred the fragrance of the flowers all around. Incense burned within the walls of the palace, and the fragrant smoke leaked out of the window shutters. Within the room there were mattresses covered with white bedsheets. The bedding was as soft and white as milk foam. In this situation, Lord Sri Krishna sat very comfortably and enjoyed the service of Rukminiji, who was assisted by her maidservants. Rukmini was very eager to get the opportunity to serve her husband, <clears throat> the Supreme Personality of Godhead. She therefore wanted to serve the Lord personally and took the handle of the chamra from the hand of a maidservant and began to move the fan. The handle of the chamra <clears throat> was made of gold and bedecked with valuable jewels and it became more beautiful when taken by Rukmini because all her fingers were beautifully set with jeweled rings. Her legs were decorated with jeweled ankle bells which rang very softly between the pleats of her sari. Rukmini's raised breasts were smeared with kumkum and saffron. Thus her beauty was enhanced by the reflection of the reddish color emanating from her covered breasts. Her high hips were decorated with a jeweled lace girdle and a locket of great effulgence hung on her neck. Above all, because she was engaged in the service of Lord Krishna, although at that time she was old enough to have grown up sons, her beautiful body was beyond compare in the three worlds. When we take account of her beautiful face, it appears that the curling hair on her head, the beautiful earrings on her ears, her smiling mouth and her necklace of gold all combined to shower rains of nectar. And thus it was definitely proved <clears throat> that Rukmini was none other than the original goddess of fortune who is always engaged in the service of the lotus feet.
of Narayana. The pastimes of Rukmin of Krishna and Rukmini in Dwarka are accepted by great authorities as manifestations of those of, of those of Narayana and Lakshmi, which are of an exalted opulence. The pastimes of Radha and Krishna in Vrindavan are simple and rural, distinguished from the polished urban characteristics of those of Dwarka. The characteristics of Rukmini were unusually bright and Krishna was very much satisfied with her behavior. Krishna had experienced that when Rukmini was offered a parijata flower by Narada Muni, Satyabhama had become envious of her co-wife and, and had immediately <clears throat> demanded a similar flower from Krishna. In fact, she could not be pacified until she was, she was promised the whole tree. And Krishna actually fulfilled his promise. He brought the tree down to the earth, earth planet from the heavenly kingdom. After this episode, Krishna expected that because Satyabhama had been rewarded with a full tree of Parijata, Rukmini would also demand something. Rukmini did not mention anything of the incident. However, Rukmini did not mention any, anything of the incident, however, for she was grave and simply satisfied in her service. Krishna wanted to see her a bit irritated and therefore he schemed to see the beautiful face of Rukmini in an irritated condition. <clears throat> Although Krishna had more than 16,100 wives, he used to behave with each of them with familial affection. He would create a particular situation between himself and his wife in which the wife would criticize him in the irritation of love. And Krishna would enjoy this. <clears throat> in this case, because Krishna could not find any fault with Rukmini, for she was very grave and always engaged in his service, he smilingly, in great love, began to speak to her just to provoke her loving anger. Rukmini was the daughter of Bhishmaka, a powerful king. Thus, Krishna did not address her as Rukmini. He addressed her, this time, as the princess. My dear princess, it is very surprising. Many great personalities in the royal order wanted to marry you. <clears throat> Although not all of them were kings, all possessed the opulence and riches of the kingly order. They were all well-behaved, learned, famous among kings, beautiful in their bodily features and personal qualifications, liberal, very powerful in strength and advanced in every respect. They were not unfit in any way and over and above that, <clears throat> your father and your brother had no objection to such a marriage. On the contrary, they gave their word of honor that you would be married with Shishupal. 
Indeed, the marriage was sanctioned by both your parents. Shishupal was a great king and was so lusty and mad after your beauty that if he had married you, I think he would have always remained with you just like your faithful servants. In comparison to Shishupal, with his personal qualities, I am nothing. And you may personally realize it. I am surprised that you rejected the marriage with Shushupal and accepted me, who are inferior in comparison to Shishupal. I think myself completely unfit to be your husband, because you are so beautiful, sober, grave and exalted. May I inquire from you the reason that induced you to accept me? Now, of course, I may address you as my beautiful wife, but still, I may inform you of my actual position, that I am inferior to all those princes who wanted to marry you. First of all, you may know that I was so much afraid of Jarasandha that I could not dare live on the land, and thus I have constructed this house within the water of the sea. It is not my business to disclose this secret to others, but you must know that I am not very heroic. <laughs> I am a coward, and I am afraid of my enemies. Still, I am not safe because all the great kings of the land are inimical to me. I have personally created this inimical feeling by fighting with them in so many ways. Another fault is that although I am on the throne of Dwarka, I have no immediate claim. Although I got a kingdom by killing my maternal uncle, Kangsa, the kingdom was to go to my grandfather. So actually... I have no possession of a kingdom. Besides that, I have no fixed aim in life. People cannot understand. People cannot understand me very well. <laughs> what is the ultimate goal of my life? They know very well that I was a cowherd boy in Vrindavan. People expected that I would follow in the footsteps of my foster father, Nanda Maharaj and be faithful to Shimati Radharani and all her friends in the village of Vrindavan. But all of a sudden, I left them. I wanted to become a famous prince. Still, I could not have any kingdom, nor could I rule as a prince. People are bewildered about my ultimate goal of life. They do not know whether I am a cowherd boy or a prince, whether I am the son of Nanda Maharaj or the son of Vasudev, because I have no fixed aim in life, people may call me a vagabond. Therefore, I am surprised that you could select such a vagabond husband. <laughs> Besides this, <clears throat> I am not very much, I am not very polished. Besides this, I am not very much polished, even in social etiquette. A person should be satisfied with one wife, but you see that I have married many times and I have more than 16,000 wives. 
I cannot please all of them as a polished husband. My behavior with them is not very nice. And I know that you are very conscious of it. I sometimes create a situation with my wives which is not very happy. Because I was trained in a village in my childhood, I am not very acquaint not well acquainted with the etiquette of urban life. I do not know the way to please a wife with nice words and behavior. And from practical experience, it is found that any woman who follows my way or becomes attracted to me is ultimately left to cry for the rest of her life. In Vrindavan, many gopis were attracted to me, and now I have left them, and they are living, but are simply crying for me in separation. I have heard from Akrura and Uddhava that since I left Vrindavan, all my cowherd boyfriends, the gopis, and Radharani, my foster father, Nanda Maharaj, are simply crying constantly for me. I have left Vrindavan for good and am now engaged with the queens of Dwaraka. But I am not well but I am not well behaved with any of you. So you can very easily understand that I have no steadiness of character. I am not a very reliable husband. The net result of being attracted to me is to acquire a life of bereavement only. My dear beautiful princess, you may also know that I am always penniless. <laughs> Just after my birth, I was carried penniless to the house of Nanda Maharaj and I was raised just like a cowherd boy. Although my foster father possessed many hundreds of thousands of cows, I was not the proprietor of even one of them. I was simply entrusted with taking care of them and tending them. But I was not the proprietor. Here also, I am not the proprietor of anything, but am always penniless. There is no cause to lament for such a penniless condition. I possessed nothing in the past, so why should I lament that I do not possess anything at present? You may note also that my devotees are not very opulent. They also are, they are, they are, they also are very poor in worldly goods. Persons who are very rich, possessing worldly wealth, are not interested in devotion to me or Krishna consciousness. On the contrary, when a person becomes penniless, whether by force of, or by circumstances, he may become interested in me if he gets the proper opportunity. Persons who are proud of their riches, even if they are offered association with my devotees, do not take advantage of consciousness of me. In other words, the poorer class of men may have some interest in me, but rich men have no interest. I think, therefore, that your selection of me was not very intelligent. You appear very intelligent, trained by your father and brother, but ultimately you have made a great mistake in selecting your life's companion. But there is no harm. The mistake can, can still be rectified. 
then it is better late than never. You are at liberty to select a suitable husband who is actually an equal to you in opulence, family tradition, wealth, beauty, education, in all respects. Whatever mistakes you have made, whatever mistakes you may have made, may be forgotten. Now you may chalk out your own lucrative plan of life. Usually a person does not establish a marital relationship with a person who is either higher or lower than his position. My dear daughter of the king of Vidarbha, I think you did not consider very sagaciously before your marriage. Thus you made a wrong selection by choosing me as your husband. You mistakenly heard about my having very exalted character, although factually I was nothing more than a beggar. Without seeing me in my actual position, simply by hearing about me, you selected me as your husband. That was not very rightly done. Therefore, since it is better late than never, I advise you to now select one of the great Chatriya princes and accept him as your life's companion, and you may reject me. Krishna was proposing that Rukmini divorce him at a time when Rukmini already had grown-up children. Therefore, Krishna's whole proposition appeared to be something unexpected because according to the Vedic culture, there is no such thing as separation of husband and wife by divorce. Nor was it possible for Rukmini to choose a new husband at her advanced age when she had many married sons. To Rukmini, every one of Krishna's proposals appeared crazy and she was surprised that Krishna could say such things. Simply as she, simply, simple as she was, her anxiety was increasing more and more at the thought of separation from Krishna. <clears throat> Krishna continued, After all, you have to prepare yourself for your next life. I therefore advise you I therefore advise that you select someone who can help you both in this life and the next. For I am completely unable to help. My dear beautiful princess, you know that all the members of the princely order, including Shishupal, Shalva, Jarasandha, Dantavakra, and even your elder brother Rukmi, are my enemies. They do not like me at all. They hate me from the cores of their hearts. <laughs> All these princes were very much puffed up with their worldly possessions and did not care a fig for anyone who came before them. In order to teach them some lessons, I agreed to kidnap you according to your desire. Otherwise, I actually have no love for you although you loved me even before the marriage. 
As I have already explained, I am not very much interested in family life or love between husband and wife. By nature, I am not very fond of family life, wife, children, home, and opulences, as my devotees are, all, are always neglectful of all these worldly possessions. I am also like that. Actually, I am interested in self-realization. That gives me pleasure, and not this family life. After submitting his statement, Lord Krishna suddenly stopped. The great authority, Shukadev Goswami, remarks that Krishna almost always passed his time with Rukmini, and Rukmini was a bit proud to be so fortunate that Krishna never left her, even for a moment. Krishna, however, does not like any of his devotees to be proud. As soon as a devotee becomes so, by some tactic, he cuts down that pride. In this case also, Krishna said many things which were hard for Rukmini to hear. She could only conclude that although she was proud of her position, Krishna could be separated from her at any moment. Rukmini was conscious that her husband was not an ordinary human being. He was the Supreme Personality of Godhead the master of the three worlds. By the way he was speaking, she was afraid of being separated from the Lord, for she had never heard such harsh words from Krishna before. Thus she became perplexed with fear of separation, and her heart began to palpitate. Without replying, to a word of Krishna's statement, she simply cried in great anxiety, as if drowning in an ocean of grief. She silently scratched the floor with her toenails, which reflected reddish light on the floor. The tears from her eyes mixed with the black cosmetic ointment from her eyelids and dropped down, washing the kumkum and saffron from her breasts. Choked up on account of great anxiety, unable to speak even a word, she kept her head downward and remained standing just like a stick. Due to extremely painful fear and lamentation, she lost all her powers of reason and became weak, her body losing so much weight that the bangles on her wrists became slack. The chamara with which she was serving Krishna immediately fell from her hand. Her brain and memory became puzzled and she lost consciousness. The nicely combed hair on her head scattered here and there and she fell down straight like a banana tree cut down by a whirlwind. Lord Krishna <clears throat> immediately realized that Rukmini had, taken, had, had not taken his words in a joking spirit. She had taken them 
very seriously. And in her extreme anxiety over immediate separation from him, she had fallen into this condition. Lord Krishna is naturally very affectionate toward his devotees. And when he saw Rukmini's condition, his heart immediately softened. At once, he became merciful to her. The relationship between Rukmini and Krishna was like that between Lakshmi and Narayana. Therefore, Krishna appeared before Rukmini in his four-handed manifestation of Narayana. He got down from the bedstead, lifted her up by her hands. He got down from the bedstead, lifted her up by her hands, and placing his cool hands on her face, smoothed the scattered hair on her head. Lord Krishna dried the wet breasts of Rukminiji with his hand. Understanding the seriousness of Rukmini's love for him, he embraced her to his chest. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is expert in putting a thing reasonably for one's understanding. And thus, he tried to retract all that he had said before. <laughs> he is the only resort for all devotees. And so he knows very well how to satisfy his pure devotees. Krishna understood that Rukmini could not follow the statements he had made in a joking way. To counteract her confusion, he spoke as follows. My dear daughter of King Vidarbha, my dear Rukmini, please do not misunderstand me. Don't be unkind to me like this. I know that you are sincerely and seriously attached to me. You are my eternal companion. The words which have affected you so much are not factual. I wanted to irritate you a bit and I was expecting you to make counter-answers to those joking words. Unfortunately, you have taken them seriously. I am very sorry for it. I expected that your red lips would tremble in anger when you heard my statement that you would chastise me and that you would chastise me with many words. O perfection of love, I never expected that your condition would be like this. I expected that you would cast your unblinking glance upon me in retaliation and that I would thus be able to see your beautiful face in that angry mood. My dear beautiful wife, you know that because we are householders, we are always busy in many household affairs and long for a time when we can enjoy some joking words between us. That is our ultimate gain in household life. Actually, householders work very hard day and night, but all fatigue of the day's labor is minimized as soon as they meet husband and wife together and enjoy life in many ways. Lord Krishna wanted to exhibit himself as being like an ordinary householder who delights himself by exchanging joking words with his wife. He therefore repeatedly requested Rukmini not to take those words very seriously. In this way, 
When Lord Krishna pacified Rukmini by, her by his sweet words, she could understand that what he had formerly said was not actually meant seriously, but was spoken to evoke some joking pleasure between themselves. She was therefore pacified by hearing the words of Krishna. Gradually she was freed from all fear of separation from him and she began to look at his face very cheerfully with her naturally smiling face. She said, My dear lotus-eyed Lord, your statement that we are not a fit combination is completely right. It is not possible for me to come to an equal level with you. You are the reservoir of all qualities, the unlimited supreme personality of Godhead. How can I be a fit match for you? There is no, poss <clears throat> there is no possibility of comparison with you who are the master of all greatness, the controller of the three qualities, and the object of worship for great demigods like Brahma and Lord Shiva. As far as I am concerned, I am a product of the three modes of material nature which impede the progressive advancement of devotional service. When and where can I be a fit match for you, my dear husband? You have rightly said that you have taken shelter in the water of the sea as if you were afraid of the kings. But who are the kings of this material world? I do not think that the so-called royal families are kings of the material world. The kings of the material world are the three modes of material nature who are actually its controllers. You are situated in the core of everyone's heart where you remain completely aloof from the touch of the three modes of material nature and there is no doubt about it. You say you always maintain enmity with the worldly kings, but who are the worldly kings? I think the worldly kings are the senses. They are the most formidable and they control everyone. Certainly you maintain enmity with these material senses. You are never under the control of the senses. Rather, you are the controller of the senses. Rishikesha. My dear Lord, you have said that you are bereft of all royal power and that is also correct. Not only are you bereft of supremacy over the material world, but even your servants, those who have some attachment to your lotus feet, also give up supremacy over the material world because they consider the material position to be the darkest region which checks the progress of spiritual enlightenment. Your servants do not like material supremacy. So what to speak of you? My dear Lord, your statement that you do not act as an ordinary person with a particular aim of life is also perfectly correct. Even your, even your great devotees and servants know it known as great sages and saintly persons, remain in such a state that no one can get any clue as to the aim of their lives. 
human society considers them crazy and cynical. Their aim of life remains a mystery to the common human being. The lowest of mankind can know neither you nor your servants. A contaminated human being cannot even imagine the pastimes of you and your devotees. O oh, unlimited one, when the activities and endeavors of your devotees remain a mystery to the common human beings, how can your motives and endeavors be understood by them? All kinds of energies and opulences are engaged in your service, but still they rest at your shelter. You have described yourself as penniless, but this condition is not poverty, since there is nothing in existence but you. You do not need a since you since since there is nothing in existence but you, you do not need to possess anything. You yourself are everything. Unlike others, you do not require to purchase anything extraneously. With you, all contrary things can be adjusted because you are absolute. You do not possess anything, but no one is richer than you. In the material world, no one can be rich without possessing. Since your lordship is absolute, you can adjust, you can adjust the contradiction of possessing nothing, but at the same time being the richest. In the Vedas it is stated that although you have no material hands and legs, you accept everything offered in devotion by the devotees. You have no material eyes and ears, but still you can see and hear everything, everywhere. Although you do not possess anything, the great demigods who accept prayers and worship from others come and worship you to solicit your mercy. How can you be categorized among the poor? My dear Lord, you have also stated that the richest section of human society does not worship you. This is also correct because persons who are puffed up with material possessions think of utilizing their property for sense gratification. <clears throat> when a poverty-stricken man becomes rich, he makes a program for sense gratification due to his ignorance of how to utilize his hard-earned money. Under the spell of the external energy, he thinks that his money is properly employed in sense gratification, and thus he neglects to render you transcendental service. My dear Lord, you have stated that persons who possess nothing are very dear to you. Renouncing everything, your devotee wants to possess only you. I see, therefore, that a great sage like Narada Muni, who does not possess any material property, is still very dear to you. And such persons do not care for anything but your lordship. My dear Lord, you have stated that a marriage between persons equal in social standing, beauty, riches, strength, influence, and renunciation can be a suitable match. But this status of life can be possible only by your grace. 
You are the supreme, perfectional source of all opulences. Whatever opulent status one may have is all derived from you. As described in the Vedanta Sutra, Janmadhyasya Yataha. You are the supreme source from which everything emanates, the reservoir of all pleasures. Therefore, persons endowed with knowledge desire only to achieve you and nothing else. To achieve your favor, they give up everything, even the transcendental realization of Brahman. You are the supreme, ultimate goal of life. You are the reservoir of all interests of the living entities. Those who are actually well motivated desire only you. And for this reason, they give up everything to attain success. They therefore deserve to associate with you in the society of the servitors and served in Krishna consciousness one is not subjected to the pains and pleasures of material society, which functions according to sex attraction. Therefore, everyone, whether man or woman, should seek to be an associate in your society of servitors and served. You are the supreme personality of Godhead. No one can excel you nor can anyone come up on an equal level with you. The perfect social system is that in which you remain in the center. The perfect social system is that in which you remain in the center, being served as the supreme, and all others engage as your servitors. In such a perfectly constructed society, Everyone can remain eternally happy and blissful. My Lord, you have stated that only the beggars praise your glories, and that, and that is also perfectly correct. But who are those beggars? Those beggars are all exalted devotees, liberated personalities, and those in the renounced order of life. They are, they are all great souls, and devotees who have no other business than to glorify you. Such great souls forgive even the worst offenders. These so-called beggars execute their spiritual advancement in life, tolerating all the tribulations in the material world. My dear husband, do not think that I accepted you as my husband out of my inexperience. Actually, I followed all these great souls. I followed the path of these great beggars and decided to surrender my life unto your lotus feet. You have said that you are penniless, and that is correct, for you distribute yourself completely to these great souls and devotees. <laughs> Knowing this fact perfectly well, I rejected even such great personalities as Lord Brahma and King Indra. My Lord, the great time factor acts under your direction only. The time factor is so great and powerful that within moments it can affect devastation anywhere within the creation. 
considering all these factors, I thought Jarasandha, Shishupal, and similar princes who wanted to marry me to be no more important than ordinary insects. <laughs> My dear all-powerful son of Vasudev, your statement that you have taken shelter within the water of the ocean out of fear of all the great princes is quite unsuitable. For my experience with you contradicts this. I have actually seen that you kidnapped me forcibly in the presence of all these princes. At the time of my marriage ceremony, simply by giving a jerk to the string of your bow, you very easily drove the others away and kindly gave me shelter at your lotus feet. I still remember vividly how you kidnapped me in the same way that a lion forcibly takes its share of hunted booty, driving away all small animals within the twinkling of an eye. My dear lotus-eyed Lord, I cannot understand your statement that women and other persons who have taken shelter under your lotus feet pass their days only in bereavement. From the history of the world, we can see that princes like Anga, Prithu, Bharat, Yayati, and Gaya were all great emperors of the world, and there were no competitors to their exalted positions. But in order to achieve the favor of your lotus feet, they renounced their exalted positions and entered the forest to practice penances and austerities. When they voluntarily accepted such a position, accepting your lotus feet as all in all, does it mean that they were in lamentation and bereavement? My dear Lord, you have advised me that I can still select another from the princely order and divorce myself from your companionship. But, my dear Lord, it is perfectly well known to me that you are the reservoir of all good qualities. Great saintly persons like Narada Muni are always engaged simply in glorifying your transcendental characteristics. Someone who simply takes shelter of such a saintly person immediately becomes freed from all material contamination. And when he comes in direct contact with your service, the goddess of fortune agrees to bestow all her blessings. Under the circumstances, what woman who has once heard of your glories from authoritative sources and some, has somehow or other relished the nectarian fragrance of your lotus feet would be foolish enough to agree to marry someone of this material world who is always afraid of death, disease, old age, and rebirth. I have therefore accepted your lotus feet, not without consideration, but after mature and deliberate decision. My dear Lord, you are the master of the three worlds. You can fulfill all the desires of your devotees in this world and the next because you are the supreme soul of everyone. I have therefore selected you as my husband, 
considering you to be the only fit personality. You may throw me in any species of life, according to the reactions of my fruitive activities, and I haven't the least concern for this. My only ambition is that I may always remain fast to your lotus feet, for you can deliver your devotees from illusory material existence and are always prepared to distribute yourself to your devotees. My dear Lord, you, you have advised me to select one of the princes, such as Shishupal, Jarasandha, or Dantavakra. But what is their position in this world? They are always engaged in harsh and hard labor to maintain their household life, just like the bulls working hard day and night with an oil-pressing machine. They are compared to asses, beasts of burden. They are always dishonored like dogs, and they are miserly like cats. They have sold themselves like slaves to their wives. Any unfortunate woman who has never heard of your glories may accept such a man as her husband, but a woman who has learned about you, that you are praised not only in this world, but in the halls of great demigods like Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, will not accept anyone besides you as her husband. A man within this material world is just like a dead body. In fact, superficially, the living entity is covered by this body, which is nothing but a bag of skin decorated with a beard and mustache, hairs on the body, nails on the fingers, and hairs on the head. Within this decorated bag are bunches of muscles, bundles of bones, and pools of blood, always mixed with stool, urine, mucus, bile, and polluted air, and enjoyed by different kinds of insects and germs. <laughs> a foolish woman accepts such a dead body as her husband and, in sheer misunderstanding, loves him as her dear companion. This is possible only because such a woman has never relished the ever-blissful fragrance of your lotus feet. My dear lotus-eyes husband, you are self-satisfied. You do not care whether or not I am beautiful or qualified. You are not at all concerned about it. Therefore, your non-attachment for me is not at all astounding. It is quite natural. You cannot be attached to any woman, however exalted her position and beauty. Whether you are attached to me or not, may my devotion and attention be always engaged at your lotus feet. The material mode of passion is also your creation. So when you passionately glance upon me, I accept it as the greatest boon of my life. I am ambitious only for such auspicious moments. After hearing Rukmini's statement and her clarification of each and every word he had used to arouse her anger of love toward him, 
Krishna addressed Rukmini as follows. My dear chaste wife, my dear princess, I expected such an explanation from you, and only for this purpose did I speak all those joking words, so that you might be cheated of the real point of view. Now my purpose has been served. The wonderful explanation you have given of my every word is completely factual and approved by me. O oh, most beautiful Rukmini, you are my dear most wife. I am greatly pleased to understand how much love you have for me. Please take it for granted that no matter what ambition and desire you may have, and no matter what you might expect from me, I am always at your service. And it is a fact also that my devotees, my dear most friends and servitors, are always free from material contamination, even though they are, not, they are not inclined to ask me for such liberation. My devotees never desire anything from me except to be engaged in my service. And yet, because they are completely dependent on me, even if they are found to ask something from me, that is not material. Such ambitions and desires instead of becoming the cause of material bondage, become the source of liberation from this material world. My dear chaste and pious wife, I have tested on the basis of strict chastity your love for your husband, and you have passed the examination most successfully. I have pur purposefully agitated you by speaking many words not applicable to your character, but I am surprised to see that not a pinch of your devotion to me has been deviated from its fixed position. My dear wife, I am the bestower of all benedictions, even up to the standard of liberation from this material world, and it is I only who can stop the continuation of material existence and call one back home back to Godhead. One whose devotion for me is unadulterated worships me for some material benefit. Just to keep himself in the world of material happiness culminating in the pleasure of sex life. One who engages himself in severe penances and austerities just to attain this material happiness is certainly under the illusion of my external energy. Persons who are engaged in my devotional service simply for the purpose of material gain and sense gratification are certainly very foolish. For material happi happiness based on sex life is available in the most abominable species of life such as hogs and dogs. No one should try to approach me for such happiness which is available even if one is put into a hellish condition of life. It is better, therefore, for persons who are simply after material happiness and not after me to remain in that hellish condition. Material contamination is so strong that everyone is working very hard, day and night, 
for material happiness. The show of religion, austerity, penance, humanitarianism, philanthropy, politics, science, everything is aimed at realizing some material benefit. For the immediate success of material benefit, materialistic persons generally worship different demigods and under the spell of material propensities they sometimes take to the devotional service of the Lord. But sometimes it so happens that if a person sincerely serves the Lord and at the same time maintains material ambitions, the Lord very kindly removes the sources of material happiness. Not finding any recourse in material happiness, the devotee then engages himself absolutely in pure devotional service. Lord Krishna continued, My dear best of queens, I clearly understand that you have no material ambition. <clears throat> Your only purpose is to serve me, and you have long been engaged in unalloyed service. Exemplary, unalloyed devotional service not only can bestow upon the devotee liberation from this material world, but it also promotes him to the spiritual world to be eternally engaged in my service. Persons too, much persons too much addicted to material happiness cannot render such service. Women whose hearts are polluted and full of material desires devise various means of sense gratification while outwardly showing themselves to be great devotees. My dear honored wife, although I have thousands of wives, I do not think any, that any one of them can love me more than you. The practical proof of your extraordinary position is that although you, have never, you had never seen me before our marriage and had simply heard about me from a third person, still your faith in me was so much fixed that even in the presence of many qualified, rich, and beautiful men of the royal order, you did not select any one of them as your husband, but insisted on having me. You neglected all the princes present, and very politely you sent me a confidential letter inviting me to kidnap you. While I was, cap while I was kidnapping you, your elder brother Rukmi violently protested and fought with me. As a result of the fight, I defeated him mercilessly and disfigured his body. At the time of Aniruddha's marriage, when we were all playing chess, there was another fight with your brother Rukmi on a controversial verbal point and my elder brother Balarama finally killed him. I was surprised to see that you did not utter even a word of protest over this incident because of your great anxiety that you might be separated from me you suffered all the consequences without speaking even a word 
as a result of this great silence, my dear wife, you have purchased me for all time. Shall I repeat that? Thank you. As a result, because of your great anxiety that you might be separated from me, you suffered all the consequences without speaking even a word. As a result of this great silence, my dear wife, you have purchased me for all time. I have come eternally under your control. You sent your messenger inviting me to kidnap you, and when you found that there was a little delay in my arriving on the spot, you saw the whole world as vacant. At that time you concluded that your beautiful body was not fit to be touched by anyone else. Therefore, thinking that I was not coming, you decided to commit suicide and immediately end that body. My dear Rukmini, such great and exalted love for me will always remain within my soul. As far as I am concerned, it is not within my power to repay you for your unalloyed devotion to me. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, certainly has no business being anyone's husband or son or father because everything belongs to him and everyone is under his control. He does not require anyone's help for his satisfaction. He is Atmarama, self-satisfied. He can derive all pleasure by himself without anyone's help. But when the Lord descends to play the part of a human being, he plays a role either as a husband, son, friend or enemy in full perfection. As such, when he was playing with the perfect, as the perfect husband of the queens, especially of Rukminiji, he enjoyed conjugal love in complete perfection. According to Vedic civilization, according to Vedic culture, although polygamy is allowed, none of one's wives should be ill-treated. In other words, one may take many wives only if he is able to satisfy all of them equally as an ideal householder. Otherwise, it is not allowed. Lord Krishna is the world teacher. Therefore, even though he had no need for a wife, he expanded himself into as many forms as he had wives. And he lived with them as an ideal householder, observing the regulated principles, rules and commitments in accordance with the Vedic injunctions and the social laws and customs of society. For each of his 16,108 wives, he simultaneously maintained different palaces, different establishments, and different atmospheres. Thus the Lord, although one, exhibited himself as 16,108 ideal householders. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 60th chapter of Krishna talks between Krishna and Rukmini. Hare Krishna. Well, 
There's no words. The depth of the conversation between Rukmini and Krishna is beyond the beyond. Hare Krishna. Well, it's 8.30. I mean, we started a little late. We started at 20 after. But still, that was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Just to read it, what to speak of, hear it. I must admit that I'm feeling pretty favored right now because I get to read it and hear it at the same time. I highly recommend anyone and everyone to read Srila Prabhupada's books out loud to yourselves. Because when you hear the truth coming out of your own mouth into your own ear, it is something mystical. Touch Trinu, as Krishna said to Arjun. Hare Krishna. All right, we'll stop here for the reading tonight. I'm praying a little bit that they'll be a little shorter because uh, this is a wonderful... This will probably go lo longer. I'll also, we're allowed to be here all night. But I can't really do that for my convalescence. So I'm depending on your mercy. Hare Krishna. First is from Shantarupa Devi Dasi. Shantarupa Devi Dasi. Hare Krishna. She says, Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. From Rati Manjari. She says, Jai Guru Maharaj. She says that every time. The first time. The first thing she says. Hare Krishna, Rati. Gopakanya Devi Dasi. She says, Jai Maharaj. Hare Krishna. All glories to Sri the Prabhupada. Jai Sri Krishna Katha. Jai Sri Krishna Katha. Brian Phillips. Hare Krishna, Bhakti Brian. He says, Hare Krishna Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Hare Bo, Hare Bo. This is from Braj Balaba. Hey Braj, Hare Krishna. He says, Hare Krishna Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Jai, all glories to Prabhupada. Missing you, Abai, and all the devotees on the haven. Hare Krishna, thank you very much. We miss you too. You know, you know what Rasika said today? He said you left a vacuum. Something missing. You. <laughs> Hare Krishna. From Bhakta Rupa. Hare Bhakta Rupa. He says, Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you very much for reading. I was really blown away at Prabhupada's description of the palace of Rukmini. He really paints a picture of the exquisite scene Love the imagery of moonshine glittering through the holes in the window and incense smoke leaking through the shuttered windows. Yeah. It really makes me think of how wonderful the world Krishna performed his pastimes in must have been. We don't always hear descriptions of the setting these pastimes take place in, but they surely must be unbelievable. Would yeah. be amazing would be amazing to experience his world in person. Well, I, I think that you're right, yeah. but I also think that his writing is so clean and clear and uh, 
it's easy to visualize that, of course it depends on your consciousness, but if you read with, with full devotion, then you experience it to that degree. Especially those who have a capacity to, to visualize words. These are book words. These are not book words. They are like poetry, you know. Hare Krishna. From Sab Sabina Kurana. Sabina Kurana. Hare Krishna. Says Jai So Nectarian. Hare Krishna. More from Bhakti Rupa. He says, wow, Rukmini's explanations are so comprehensive and deep. It's very intriguing that Krishna tested her in this way to draw out her devotion. I recently heard from Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj that when we go through rough patches in Krishna consciousness, we can see it as Krishna testing us, watching to see how we will react. How can we ensure we pass these small tests and don't fall prey to the mind's nonsense? Well, this is the eternal question most devotees ask if they don't have it. But uh, these prayers and conversations between Krishna and Rukmini, they teach us when you say, how can we have it? By hearing submissively and by aspiring by increasing our desire to to be you know an associate of krishna and and devotees such as rukmini i mean there's no there, once Prabhupada was asked how can i be sincere and Prabhupada said be sincere there's no one else can be sincere for you there's no pill you can take to be sincere you have to just be sincere. What does be sincere means? It means not to have any ulterior motive for your service. To serve simply for the satisfaction of Krishna and Krishna's devotees. And it's a gradual process, of course, but the closer you get there, the easier it gets. It's not like the opposite the more elevated you become, the more difficult it becomes, actually. But Krishna consciousness is easy. It's the easiest thing to do. It's as easy as this. Hare Krishna. How much easier can Krishna make it? How much easier can Chaitanya Mahaprabhu make it? We make it difficult. He's made it easy. We make it difficult. Once Prabhupada told us, that Lord Chaitanya is taking us back to home and we're kicking and screaming the whole way. Just like a spoiled child who's playing at the beach. And at night's coming and the parents are saying, okay, it's time to go home. And he's kicking and screaming and crying and they take him back to his home. And what was he doing? Building sandcastles and having them knocked down and building another sandcastle and having it knocked down. So how can we Void doing that is to grow up in Krishna consciousness, become serious. And this is how we become serious. 
to hear seriously with the intent with the intent on purifying our hearts and and with the how do I say the um, using the facility that each one of us has in the human form of life to desire the right thing to cultivate the desire for the right thing and we can't even know what the right thing is without these books so keep on hearing these books cover to cover for the rest of your life and aspire Rupa Goswami said if, if you want to live in this material world without becoming attached or covered by the material energy then make it your ambition to serve Krishna make it your ambition you know to, to be in that palace in some forms a maidservant or a, maid, a manservant or anything Hare Krishna Ananda Murti Hari Bol. She says, Dear Guru Maharaj and all assembled devotees, please accept my humble obeisances, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to hear such wonderful statements from you. I feel I am so fortunate to hear these statements of Srila Prabhupada which are coming from Parampara. This is a supreme truth. Rukmini is so exalted and she gives us the ideal example how to serve Lord Sri Krishna by unflinching devotional service. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. Follow in the footsteps. This is another another answer to, to Bhakti Rupa's question. Follow in the footsteps. Don't imitate, but follow in the footsteps of the great souls follow their instruction be submissive Hare Krishna serve Ibrahim Fula Ibrahim Fula he says Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Vilas Manjari oh Hare Krishna Vilas Manjari she says dear Maharaj please accept my humble obeisances Everything is reconciled in Krishna. These talks are so attractive. I love this point, how Krishna can be both the wealthiest and the poorest because he distributes himself completely to his devotees. That's right. Thank you for reading. Hare Krishna, thank you for hearing so nicely. From Maharani Vrinda Devi Dasi. Maharani Vrinda Devi Dasi, Hare Krishna. She says, Hare Krishna, dear Maharaj. Hare Sabina Kurana says Hare Krishna. Alice Alice Bainham. Alice Bainham. He says Haribo. Haribo. Bhakta Rupa says thanks Maharaj. And from Rati Manjari. Yes, Rati Hare Krishna. She says, Dear Guru Maharaj, please accept my respectful obeisances. Indeed, a wonderful conversation between Krishna and Rukmini. I have a somewhat peculiar question tonight. I am always fascinated by Rukmini's description of the material bodies we are entrapped in. 
She does it so gruesomely. Most of us are or will be in householder life. How are we supposed to weigh these stark statements of Rukmini on the nature of the body with the injunction that we are supposed to be devoted and attached to our spouse? <laughs> it's not just householders, it's everybody in a material body is filled of those things. We're not supposed to adjust it in such a way that, that it's nice. We're supposed to hear it and realize it, that it's abominable. How do you do that? By, by remembering that the spouse and everything that belongs in the household, it, it belongs to Krishna. There's no other way. Hare Krishna. And Alice says, thank you this, for this evening's reading, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Ki Jai. Samabeda Bhakta Vinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi Hari Hari Bon. Tomorrow night, same time, same place, same topic. Watching Krishna move through the material world to attract us all back to the spiritual world. Attract us all to his lotus feet because he's so attractive and his pure devotees who are in the spiritual world are so attractive and this is why all devotees even if they're very advanced they glorify the spiritual world even if they want to stay here and serve Krishna eternally still they glorify the spiritual world because there you can be with all devotees of that exalted character see you tomorrow night Hare Krishna